I think even when women or people of color do write books about topics that are not specific to women or people of color, I think that it's seen often as kind of a supplement to the real theological canon as opposed to the core of like what a seminarian should learn or what people in general should learn. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. Welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations with me, your host, Andy Dixon. I've been talking to a whole lot of great people over the last week, and I can't wait to bring you those conversations. A little heads up about something newish. Uh, I've seen a number of my guests go on to do inspiring and encouraging things that I think you would love to hear about. And so I've started having little 15 to 20 minute catch ups with former guests about some of what they've been up to since our corridor. I've recorded the first of those and I've got others teed up. So um, yeah, super excited to start bringing those to you as and when I connect with people. Uh, the first is with episode 10 guest Takara de Fitiao Scarborough and it's pure gold. So keep an eye out or an ear out for that, coming very soon. Today I have the privilege of bringing you my conversation with Liz Coolidge-Jenkins. Liz and I follow each other on Instagram, although neither of us remember how that connection came about, but she let me know about this book that she's got coming out in December, and I immediately knew that I had to get her on the podcast. The book is called Nice Churchy Patriarchy, and it's a combination of Liz's experiences in and even working for various American evangelical churches, and her deep thinking and research around attitudes and impacts of patriarchy, even in those spaces that claim to see everyone as equals. We discuss Liz's experience as a woman in church spaces, what she's learnt from that. Uh, We talk about how her exploration of patriarchy goes hand in hand with her growing understanding of the many other minority groups within the Western Church, and the way that the Church has treated them. And we talk about how it's actually people's ability to live into the fullness of their humanity that's at stake. This is episode 79 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Liz Coolidge Jenkins. Liz Coolidge Jenkins, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. And for those who haven't heard of you, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, totally. Uh, Yeah, my name is Liz. I'm a writer. I live in the Seattle area in Washington State um, with my husband and our black cat that we adopted as kind of a neighborhood stray. Um, And I am very much just kind of a human on a journey of trying to figure out how do we make this world better and more just and what does that have to do with faith and spirituality and and how do we make churches better and more just. So it's been, uh, you know, a bit of a journey through kind of working in college campus ministry for a while and um, going to seminary for a while after that. And then um, after I graduated about four years ago, kind of trying to figure out what it looks like to be a writer and to kind of think through some of these things and hopefully help other people think about some of these things in some way. Awesome. And and regular listeners will already know why you're on on the podcast after that explanation. Because um, yeah, the, the whole um, justice thing, looking at how can we how can we make the world better? How can we make our churches places that make the world better? All of that is is um, what we're totally about on this podcast. So great to have you here. Um, 
like you say, you're a writer, you've got blog posts, articles all over the internet in a whole bunch of different places. Um, and now, of course, you've got an upcoming book, which is going to get released later in the year, um, which I've had the pleasure of reading and is fantastic. Uh, how did you get into Thank writing? You. Yeah. Um, I mean, writing is something that I've always done just for myself, um, kind of as a way of processing things. Um, and um, I think that through most of my time in seminary, I kind of assumed that I would be applying for PhD programs afterwards, um, whether that was in Christian ethics or church history or something along those lines. Um, and I think, you know, the idea of being able to teach appealed to me and the idea of being able to spend a ton of time just researching and learning and writing appealed to me. Um, but I think as, as my time in seminary went on, I kind of realized that um, not always, but often in the academic world, you're very much just kind of within the academic world and speaking to other people who are in that world and using these particular kind of jargons and language that aren't very accessible to just normal, thoughtful people who are not in academia. Um, so I think I came out of seminary really wanting to focus on kind of what could I write that would mean something to people beyond the academy and to people who are really wrestling with some deep, important questions about spirituality and justice and all that. Yeah. Funny, that's like a real similar journey to myself in terms okay. of um, doing the study. Um, so I did Masters of Theology program okay. and yeah. then – was weighing up whether to carry on into PhD or not, getting encouragement to do that, but just really feeling like, you know, there was a whole lot of stuff that I'd been learning at, at college that I shouldn't have had to go to college to learn. You know, totally. that, that should have been stuff that the church was teaching and thought, well, actually, I just want to get back out into, I don't know if the yeah. real world's the right phrase, but, you know, out, out into normal life and and share some of this back with the people. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm I'm passionate about as well, and great to hear that that's you know on your heart and and I've read some of your articles and things, and you you write about a whole bunch of different things, you know, from climate change, um, abortion, um, abuse of volunteers in churches, patriarchy, a whole bunch of different things. Yeah, is there something that underlies all of that for you, or do you just do you just kind of bounce around topics that are interesting to you, or is there something kind of deeper that's tying it all together? Sure. Um, I mean, certainly sometimes it feels like bouncing around. Um, <laughs> but I do think that, um, I mean, so when I was first thinking about applying for seminary, I felt kind of a specific sense of calling. And I don't want to use that lightly. And I think that could mean lots of different things to different people. But I think I felt a sense of invitation to help the church was kind of the phrase that came to my mind. Um it's very broad, lots of different forms that can take. Um, but I think that even now, you know, probably what, seven years after that, I feel like that's still kind of a guiding principle of, um, you know, there are people who go to church or who have some kind of Christian background or tradition that they still value even if they're not going to church. And how do we all kind of help each other think about things more deeply? Um and I think, you know, I started seminary around the same time that Trump got elected president of the U.S. And I think that was kind of a, a turning point for me in terms of like, oh, like, how did we get here as a church where 81 percent of white evangelicals voted for this person that does not represent anything that I want Christianity to represent? And so I think there's kind of those. Yeah, there's kind of some underlying questions of like how did we get here and how do we do something different as church as Christians I love that you're 
like you're writing about all these different topics, but you are writing about them from the perspective of, hey, church, how can we do better? Mm-hmm. You know, it's you're not pointing mm-hmm. fingers, you're not um, you're not standing on one side throwing rocks across. You're going, hey, I'm part of this too, um, but also you're going, hey, do you know there's some other ways to think about this? You know, have yeah. there's actually some people that think about this in a way that's different from what I grew up with. Totally. And I think in some evangelical environments, you know, you're not really um, encouraged to realize that there are different ways of being Christian. Um, You're kind of encouraged to consider maybe more progressive or mainline dominations as as not legitimately Christian. And so I think that takes some unpacking too. Yeah. I mean, definitely in my upbringing, no one ever said it, but you just kind of got the sense of, well, you know, we've figured out the right way to be Christian and everyone else will eventually fall in line. Right. You know, um, And then you get out into the big wide world and meet friends and realize that actually that's incredibly arrogant. <laughs> totally. You know? um, and, and going, yeah. how, how would I think, how could I think that I've got it all sorted when Christians have been wrestling with stuff for 2,000 years and right. the Jews for thousands of years before that, you know? So, right. um, yeah. And have but, come to very different conclusions over that time and in different places and contexts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I love like reading your book is you actually delved into that and went, Hey, some of the things I got taught were that were pitched as this is what Christians have always thought. Aren't what Christians have always thought, you know, some, some Christians might've, but actually there is a whole range of ways that Christians have thought over the years. And we change our minds about so many things. Right. So your book, um, nice churchy patriarchy, um, which, I've just read and I thought was brilliant. And I said before we started recording that part of me, you know, was absolutely loving it. And part of me was in anguish that you had to even bother writing it. Right. Um, Yeah. But, you know, why, out of all the things you could have chosen to write about, why did patriarchy become the one that you're like, I I need to focus on this for a book? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was my life, right. (laughs) For most of my twenties. Um, And I think I wanted to write something that was driven by story, um, that was kind of memoir-ish, where, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different source material and a lot of things I learned in seminary and have learned from other writers and theologians that I think kind of the main driving force of it is kind of everything that I experienced and how I reflect on it now. Um, So I think, yeah, I mean, I had, you know, many more stories than could fit in a book. I had to kind of pare it down. And yeah. to focus and yes, it just felt like the right place to start. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what makes it really readable as well. You know, it makes it something that uh, anybody in a church can pick up and find themselves somewhere in that because you are sharing personally, um, but you're sharing in a way that, you know, you're not putting anyone down. You're just going, why was it like this? You know, right. That's the intent. What, what yeah, happened here? And um, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I mean, I think I messaged you halfway through and was just like, oh my goodness, this is bringing up so many memories and I'm a man. Yeah, you know? like, right. I can't imagine having been a woman and experienced all of that. So mm-hmm. um, I think you you definitely get your point across. Um, mm-hmm. Before we carry on too much, what for those who kind of aren't entirely sure what we're talking about, what what do you mean by patriarchy and how um, how is that connected to the church? Yeah, I would say patriarchy in general is kind of any structure or system where men have more power than women do. 
Um, so any kind of system of, of male dominance or control. Um, so in church context, that includes kind of male-dominated leadership, male-dominated preaching, um, often kind of certain gender roles and expectations within marriage or relationships. Um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking of when we talk about patriarchy. Obviously, you know, that's a societal thing, but some of that societal thing has been reinforced by the church. And I think that comes through quite clearly right. in, in the book as well. Um, and like you said, this is coming from your own story. So this is actually quite personal to you. And you say in the book, I'm no longer willing to be patronized in this way. I'm no longer interested in calls for unity at the cost of full acknowledgement of my humanity. Um, what are the some of the sorts of things, and especially, I guess, the more subtle things? We can all see the the really obvious, I'm in charge, you'll do what I say, woman, right. um, kind of things. But what are the more subtle things that you have experienced that might go unnoticed that you have experienced in churches that have undermined that ability for you to, to kind of live into the fullness of your humanity? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think, and as you mentioned before, some things that might seem like they shouldn't be subtle, you might not notice. <laughs> like when I first started attending the church that I went to in my 20s, I think it took me at least a year or two before I realized that I wasn't just seeing male preachers every week because that's how it happened to be right now. I was seeing male preachers every week because that's how it was designed intentionally. Because um, that wasn't your I, experience growing up, was it? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at my home church, we had a male senior pastor, but there were two other women uh, pastors who preached as often as any other associate pastor did. And um, nobody really seemed to think twice about it. So I didn't really think to ask a lot of questions when I moved away for college and found a new church. And yeah, but yeah, I mean, as far as some of the, the more subtle things, um, yeah, there's so many of them. And I think that's what I kind of wanted to focus on with the book, because I think they're things that kind of can seem okay, or they're kind of easy to write off. Um, and I, I really want to kind of, for myself and for other women, take these things seriously. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think just as one example, um, I think I've really had to struggle and wrestle with my sense of myself as a preacher over time. And I think that's something I embrace comfortably now, but it's been a really long road to get there. Um, uh, for instance, uh, at the church that I worked at in my 20s, about two years into my time working there, um, the church hired another colleague to work with me in college ministry. And he had just graduated from college, a uh, great person, nothing but respect for him. Um, but he was a lot younger than me and a lot less experienced. And I found out about two months into his time working for the church that he'd been invited to preach at the church Thanksgiving service. And I was like, oh, OK. At first, I was kind of like, yeah, that's a great opportunity for him. And then I was like, wait a minute. How come no one ever invited me to do anything like that? Um, and I've been through the church's ministry training program and that included Bible classes as well as some preaching classes and practice preaching in front of your classmates. And um, so I felt like I had some experience and some positive feedback from that, but um, had never really been invited to use it in like a whole church preaching kind of way. Um, and I asked my supervisor about this because it was kind of bothering me. And uh, he was like, oh, well, this person expressed interest in preaching. I don't really feel like I've heard you express that same kind of interest. Um, and he wasn't wrong. Like that was true. I hadn't expressed that same kind of interest, but I think there's all sorts of kind of subtle gendered things that played into that in terms of 
what is expected of women and what sorts of ambition is rewarded or not and what comes across as the confidence to ask to preach versus kind of arrogance or something negative. Um, and how are you even supposed to know if you have preaching gifts or want to preach when all the preachers that you see are men every week? So I think that was kind of one of those more subtle things that like I had, had to kind of think about over a few few months or a few years of like, why, why did that happen that way? Um, and yeah, just kind of some of the reasons it took me so long to kind of develop that confidence to be like, yeah, I think I'm supposed to be preaching. One of the one of the ones I really appreciated you highlighting in the book was um, the fact that, particularly in the area of church and theology, if I as a white male was to go, hey, I want to write a book, I could pretty much choose just about any topic I wanted, and it right. would be and it would be acceptable. Um, but when we look at the the women's books or the people of colors books that are getting published in that space. A lot of them are, you know, books like yours that are really important where you're writing about women in the church and patriarchy and that kind of thing. And and people of colour are writing about, you know, the experience of people of colour in the church and mm-hmm. racism and, you know, those kind of things, which are all really right. important. But mm-hmm. it's like if they if they tried to write something else, it would almost be seen as a step outside of their realm that they should be focusing on. Whereas, yeah. again, for me as a white male, there isn't kind of a realm that I should be focusing on. So I'm kind of free to roam. And I'd never really thought about that. But as I went back and looked at a whole bunch of the people that I follow and the authors that I have connected with, I went, oh, wow, that's, that's actually playing out over and over again. And I mean, there's obviously exceptions to that, but Mm -hmm. as, as a general rule, I found that fascinating. Like, was that something that you suddenly just became aware of or like, how did, how did you notice that? Or was it just your experience of going, actually, I want to write, and this kind of seems to be the only thing I'm allowed to write about. Um, I don't think it was the latter. Um, That's interesting, though. Yeah, I think it was... I think it was largely through that experience of kind of being like, okay, I'm I'm aware at some level. Um, This is an experience I write about in the book of um, how white male skewed a lot of my books are from seminary and just from my time in church before that. But I want to know, like, exactly, precisely what that actually looks like. So I kind of made this spreadsheet of all of the books that I had and categorized them by the author's racial and gender identity. And yeah, so I think it came out as I was kind of examining that and doing some math and playing with some numbers there and trying to better understand like what is the landscape of these authors that I've been learning from and the theologians that were kind of centered in my seminary education. Um, So yeah, I'd say it came through that just kind of, kind of, putting that in a spreadsheet and, and just kind of putting some numbers to it. Yeah. And I would say that, I mean, I think even when women or people of color do write books about topics that are not specific to women or people of color, um, I think that it's seen often as kind of a, like a supplement to like the real, like theological canon, um, yeah. As opposed to like kind of the core of like what a seminarian should learn or what people in general should learn. Um, so that's an issue too. Yeah. Yeah. That came up when I interviewed Jared Bias on the podcast and, and at the Bible for normal people that he's a part oh, of, yeah. they, they have that phrase of all theology has an adjective, meaning yes. that, yes. you know, you kind of get this idea that there's, you know, feminist theology and disability theology and 
womanist theology, and and then you've just got normal theology, right? Um, whereas actually, normal theology in a lot of spaces is actually probably better labelled as you know white male theology, and Absolutely. it's not that that's a negative thing; it's just that that's an honest thing. Yeah, um, everyone has a social location. We need to be aware of that. Yeah, and. and and that kind of highlights, I guess, your your whole point there that, you know, you've got this kind of level of normal and then you've got all these bits around the side that are kind of, you know, they're, they're there, but they're not as important. Um, which, again, that leads to that subtlety of nobody's actually coming out and saying, hey, you lot aren't important. In fact, people are going, hey, you guys are really important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at doing what you're doing right. and leave, leave us to keep doing that, you know. Um, which, yeah, I think, the more I read your book, the more I realize there are a whole bunch of, I mean, I've thought about this a lot um, because I came out of a, a very patriarchal church system into a space that um, was the opposite of that and really flourished in that space and really loved seeing women flourish in that space. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've wrestled with that over the years theologically because I knew all of the reasons why it was like it was growing up. Um but yeah, I think even having thought about it a lot, it was the the things you hollowed in the book that were much more subtle. That kind of, you know, I mean, you're talking about churches that have decided that actually, no, we're all equal. You know, men and women can preach. Um, you know, women can be leaders, you know, all of that stuff. And I'd kind of gone, great, job done. And yet you're highlighting that even within those places, there is stuff going on here that is based on our patriarchal systems. Do you want to just share a little bit about those kind of spaces and, and what you see in those kind of spaces? Yeah, yeah. So the book kind of journeys through like my 20s and more of a complementarian, more explicitly patriarchal church space into a seminary that I chose because it's egalitarian, among other reasons, and a church that I went to at the time that was also explicitly egalitarian. Um, so I think, yeah, that was such a, it was kind of surreal part of the journey of being at first just so excited to be in these spaces where women were not prevented from preaching or being professors in a seminary context or anything like that. And, um, the seminary I went to had welcomed women into its programs fully since I think the seventies or something like that. So it wasn't new, um, And yet, I think it took me a while to kind of become aware that just because these environments said they were, and really, I think, honestly, wanted to be supportive of women in ministry didn't mean that they're there yet. Um, Yeah, I think it's a first step. Um, And I hear this from queer folks, too, in terms of LGBTQ inclusion in churches. That's the first step, saying we're affirming this is good. Um, but then actually getting to a place where everyone operates as equals and you don't have this kind of heteronormative environment everywhere is a different story. So I think it's the same thing with patriarchy. Um, these institutions have often, whether they're denominations or seminaries, they've often been established with male leadership as the norm and male leadership in mind. And um, I think that that is a hard <laughs> ship to turn. Um Yeah. So, I mean, I think in seminary that took the form of, um, I would say, professorship was still male dominated. Um, I would say the stuff that we read in class was very dominated by male authors. Um, 
and the figures that we learned about in church history, with the exception of my women in church history class that I specifically took, um, were also very male dominated. And I mean, I remember pretty early on kind of looking through a book that had uh, excerpts and reflections from different historical theologians. And I think we got to choose a couple to read each day or something like that. And I'm kind of there like looking for the female names because that's who I want to learn from and finding them very few and far between. I think I read about the martyrdom of Perpetua uh, from the very early church and beyond that, there wasn't much. So yeah, things like that of like, how am I supposed to see myself as a woman in church if I don't see myself in the curriculum or in the history? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess that last point you raised goes to why this is important because we're not just talking about it would be nice if churches weren't patriarchal or, you know, this is actually having a real effect on people, mm-hmm. particularly on women. But also, as you point out in the book, it, it stems out to other marginalised groups as well or other minority groups. Mm-hmm. But also just as part of my journey, I realised how impoverished the church was for keeping, you know, 50% of its people at arm's length right. and and started right. asking my question uh, myself the question, why would we do that? Um, and and yeah, so this is this has had a real effect on you um, through the years. You know what what are what are some of the ways that it's actually personally affected you, rather than just you thinking about, hey, this is I'm noticing this. What are some times where you're like, no, actually, this is really impacting me. So sorry, you've got like a yeah, million stories a you've got to choose from. Um. <laughs> Uh, I know where to start where to start yeah no not at all I mean yeah I mean I think I kind of touched on this with talking about preaching a little bit but I think that what I was kind of trying to get at there it's not about preaching right like not everyone's meant to be a preacher um everyone has different gifts I think it's about confidence um and being able to have kind of the whole array of opportunities open and available um, and not limited because of gendered expectations or norms or explicit rules. Um, Yeah. So I think just kind of developing, I mean, I think people in their teens and twenties, especially are often kind of very much in that stage of like developing a sense of who I am as a person and what I'm supposed to be doing in this world and what my gifts are and interests. And um, so I think when that's kind of limited in any way that, kind of limits the ways that you're able to develop as a person. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think that I've like personally come to the conclusion over time that I'm not trying to pursue pastoral ministry, Um, but I'm also very aware that if I were, there were just a million more roadblocks to that path um, Mm. than there would have been if I were a man. Yeah. Yeah, And I think like reading the book, you, you get also that sense of just the messages that come through, like you're actually not, that important or you know you, you're not as valuable as mm-hmm. these people mm-hmm. um which I mean it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you want to work in the church or not you know if that's the message you're hearing that right. actually you're not that valuable right. and on the other hand they're saying you know you're created in the yeah. image of God and you're you know you can do all things and right. well not those things because you're not quite valuable enough for that, right. you know, that right. that must have some impact on, on people hearing that kind of subtly over and over again. Totally. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, when the whole church isn't hearing from women in the pulpit, the whole church misses out. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I guess it comes through in your title of your book, the nice churchy patriarchy. 
one of the things you stress in the book is that actually the environments you have been in haven't been horrible. You know, they're not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. full of a whole lot of power hungry, you know, evil guys trying to control everything. They're, right. they're nice people who are trying to do their best to honor God. Um, mm-hmm. And actually there's a lot to appreciate about those environments for you. But um, you, mm-hmm. you talk about how that niceness um covers up a whole lot of more insidious things, more damaging theologies, uh, mindsets, practices, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Can you just share a little bit about that for us? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I do feel fortunate kind of to, you know, by some combination of luck and choice to have not ended up in the worst of patriarchal communities. Um, And I think about this as we see some of the documentaries that have come out in the last year or so um, about different megachurches and um, different very explicitly patriarchal systems. I mean, I was never involved in anything like a BLP or the Gothard's uh, things. And yeah, um, so it's a very different kind of environment that I spent my 20s in. Um, But I think that's why it's worth talking about these kind of subtler things and um, yeah, I think that I think that because people are and were so nice and wonderful in so many ways, it made it hard to speak up about things that weren't working or that were unjust or that needed to change. Um, I think there's sometimes kind of a little bit of gaslighting that can happen there of like, oh, maybe that wasn't about gender or maybe that wasn't really that bad. And so I think it took me several years to kind of be like, no, those things were that bad. Um, yeah, even though people were kind, well-intentioned, generous in so many ways, um, there were also kind of, yeah, like you said, these undercurrents of patriarchy that really do a lot of damage to women and girls and to everyone. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, the church was, was just wonderful in so many ways, right? So I think I even feel the tension now of like talking about these things, um, and not wanting to like make them out as villains or anything like that. Um, but I think the, the theology is the systems, the thought processes, those all need to be talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how do we do that? How do we start to address this within our churches? Um, you know, even our very egalitarian churches, how do we bring out this idea of the sort of insidious underneath theologies that sit there? I mean, I think one angle is just making sure that we center the voices and experiences and perspectives of people who are most impacted by whatever issues we're trying to sort through, right? Um, like there should not be, as there were at my former church, conversations about women in ministry and whether or not they wanted to change any of their views. Like there should not be those conversations without women being in positions to make those decisions, right? Um, there should not be an all male board making that decision. Um, so yeah, things like, um, centering the voices of people who are most impacted. I also talk a bit in the book about just kind of how do we be a little more clear, direct, and honest in the language that we use to talk about these things. I think that, I mean, soft complementarianism is a term that sounds kind of nice and warm and fuzzy and like, it's a lot better than those hard complementarian churches over there that are really doing some damage to women, Um, But it's not warm and fuzzy. It's still patriarchy. It's still church-endorsed explicit patriarchy. Um, It's still not okay. Um, I also talk a bit about kind of the language of like people debating like whether women can or can't be pastors or leaders or elders. And 
how that kind of covers up a multitude of things that might be behind that can or can't. Um, Because we know that women can preach, women can lead, women are doing those things in lots of contexts. Um, So yeah, kind of sorting through like what is hiding behind some of those kind of nice sounding words. And by saying that women can't preach, does somebody mean that they don't see justification for it in scripture, in which case let's talk about that, right? Or kind of whatever the reason might be. Because um, can and can is just kind of an expression of power, right? Like I say that you can or can't do this. Um, yeah, so kind of clearing up some of the language. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, even I was thinking of churches that I've been involved in where we say things like, we let women preach here. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> hang on, who's the we? And right. and what what right. authority do we have to think that we could not let women? You know, like right. it's um, right. just astounds me that so much of that patriarchal stuff seeps into even those spaces where we think we're doing really well. Um, and we touched yeah. on that already, but it just it came up over and over again in the book for me. That and and I you know thought back to times in my life where I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, we thought we were doing really well there. And actually, I think there were some things that we got wrong. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how can we do better? Totally. And that that's okay to get things wrong, right? I think sometimes, I mean, we get in this mindset of like, yeah, I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. I wouldn't do anything sexist or homophobic or racist or whatever it might be. And then we're not open to hearing that feedback. So, yeah, I think it's it's not... It doesn't make us bad people if we have done some of those things, but we want to be humble and willing to learn and accept feedback. And yeah. Yeah. And I think like the biggest challenge I got reading the book was not, okay, how can the church as a whole change, but how can I change? You know, what, what things can Mm -hmm. I do that will make the spaces that I'm in a little bit better, um, a little bit more. Cause Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm a male working in a church role. Um, I'm okay. 15 hours a week as a young adults worker and and so with that there comes a certain amount of power and yet within that mm-hmm. how do I ensure that that power is used in a way that you know uplifts everybody in the space um, not just those voices that are like mine because you know a lot of my friends are white males and a lot of them are very intelligent and have lots of good things to say and so it's, you know it's really easy just to slip into oh that's all we've heard from all year um you know, I, sure. I know a church that's uh, would claim to be egalitarian and someone who goes there was telling me that last year they had two women preach in the entire year. And, oh, gosh. And, um, and both times that, that, that a woman preached, a, a man got up after the sermon to kind of land the plane somehow. Um, oh, and this is in a church that would claim that everybody's equal and that there's no hierarchy and, and that kind of thing. But yeah. just those those things that we do because that's what we've seen or, you know, that that's just kind of what naturally happens and we haven't thought about it. And I guess where I've come from is actually we need to go further than just saying it's okay. We need to actively work against it. Totally. And you hear that with racism as well. Like you actually need to become anti-racist, not right, just right. not racist. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of see the same thing here where you've got to actively work to try and um, work against the systems that we've all learnt for so long. Right, because as you said, it's not just in church, it's kind of the whole society that we find ourselves in or that has been specifically built for those purposes over time. Yeah. yeah. Um, you 
obviously your your focus on the book is patriarchy, like we've been talking about, but you also bring through the book this idea that you know there's a whole lot of other minority groups that are part of this discussion too. Um, you talk about people of color, queer folk, those with disabilities, all all that kind of thing. Um, how has your exploration of patriarchy led you to those spaces and how did that kind of become part of the conversation? Yeah, that's a good question and a bit of a complicated one. Um, I mean, I think, I think my first exposure to some kind of serious work and thought around faith and justice was in college through the campus ministry I was a part of. Um, and our, our faith and justice kind of work there was very focused on race, um, which was really great for me as a white person, because there was a ton I needed to learn, still do, I'm sure. Um, and that was just really eye-opening in terms of kind of learning about racism, racial justice, and things that I had not had to think about before that. Um, and so I think that that journey almost kind of led me over time into feminism, oddly enough. Um, and I think it took a few years before I kind of realized, wait a minute, like these things are not okay in the world of race, right? Like it would not be okay if a church did not allow black people to preach, for example, or be leaders. Um, and some churches still kind of more subtly do things like that, which is not okay. Um, so I can, it yeah, it kind of took me a minute to realize that um, it is similarly not okay when churches kind of try to prevent women from doing these things. So I mean, that was kind of the, the, some of the roundabout journey. Um, but I do think that, um, I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking and kind of trying to grow and learn in terms of how do I do this feminism thing in a way that isn't just for white, upper middle class, able-bodied, straight women. Um, and I think part of the answer to that is that there are, and as there should be, many people writing about these things. So even as I hope that people read this book, I also hope that they read books by women of color and all sorts of different women and kind of get some of those different voices in there, because um, that's what we need. So yeah, I think I think my hope is just kind of to not fall into the trap of seeing the category of woman in this very narrow way. Um, so my hope is to be kind of an advocate for and be in community and solidarity with all different kinds of women. So that kind of naturally leads you to intersectionality and how all these things connect. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you were talking in the book about how you as a white woman, you know, you could just be speaking on behalf of all women. And yet you realize that actually your, exp your experience is not the same as yeah. all women, you know, so you're speaking right, from your own perspective right. and from, from what yeah. that brings, but you're also then going, <laughs> Or I need to read more from women of color. Mm -hmm. um, I need right. to hear their voices and have that influence the way that I think right. about what it is to be a woman in the church. And um, I thought that was really beautiful that I guess you weren't playing a victim card at any point and just trying to go, everything's against me. You know, you're going, no, actually, right. there are some things that I've experienced that highlight some things that are that we could do better in the church. Um, totally. But there's also things yeah. that I could do better because I haven't heard other voices. And so I'm mm -hmm. going to do that work mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's a real encouragement mm -hmm. to all of us to actually just listen to people who are different from us. Um, right. That we get so narrow when all we do is hear from people that are like us. Um, right. So, yeah, right. that that was a great encouragement to me in the book to look outside of ourselves at who, who could we be listening to. Um, yeah. 
I appreciate that. And I'm always, you know, naively surprised by how much effort that can take, right? And how much kind of some of those white male voices naturally flow into our our sphere of reading and, and listening and all that. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I write in the book at one point about how I spent one season of Lent specifically not reading any white authors. And I think that was really helpful in terms of kind of jumpstarting, like, how do I, how do I look around more broadly? How do I not fall into this rut? Yeah. yeah. No, it's beautiful. You say in the book, uh, I want people of all genders to find and to create the kinds of spaces where women are not reduced to object status, the kinds of spaces where no one is reduced to object status. Uh, you know, I think that's a, a beautiful hope. Um, mm-hmm. From your perspective, what are some of the, the little things that we can do as individuals. You know, not everyone who listens to this podcast goes to church, um, but there are a number who do. So for those of us who do, what are little things that we can do in our church spaces? Um, I say, you know, little or simple things. They might be really hard, you know, because they're awkward for us or whatever. But what are some of those little things that we can start to do to make changes to head towards that hope that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, something that's been really huge is learning how to talk about God in different ways, whether that's just in personal prayer or in church liturgy services, songs. Um, I mean, if your church doesn't mix up pronouns for God in their songs, you can still do that when you sing, um, just as a personal practice. And yeah, I think that's been really huge and really powerful for me in terms of kind of trying to internalize this idea that God is not a man. Like we kind of know that at some level, like I don't think many people would really say like God is a man. And yet when all the language, all the pronouns we use uh, describe God in that way, then that's kind of the impression you get. So yeah, I think kind of experimenting with she, they pronouns or just referring to God as God without a pronoun, um, I think can be powerful um, in terms of kind of how women see ourselves as image bearers and how men see women as image bearers equal to them. Um, And I think uh, another thing that comes to mind is just uh, kind of representation in leadership. Um, And yeah, I think kind of making sure that if a church wants to be affirming of women in leadership, that half of their leaders hopefully are women Um, and kind of women at the kind of higher levels of decision-making and a variety of women that represent different races, ages, all sorts of things within the congregation. Um, I think that's been really huge at the church that I'm a part of now. Um, yeah, that we don't just kind of say that we're affirming of women. We actually have a female pastor and a lot of female elders. And that really does, I think, change the whole kind of scope of the conversations that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I like that highlighting the, the way we look at God. Because I think so much of everything else we do in church comes from that. Yeah. And like you say, we can be uh, people who are not into patriarchy and yet have never thought about the fact that we view God as a man. Right. And yet every every way that we can possibly talk about God is a metaphor. Because, you know, the divine God, whatever you want to call this creative being, is beyond our comprehension. Right. And how can you talk about someone like that without metaphor? And yet we, it's so easy to take those metaphors and start thinking them as, as literal, you know, as fact. Right. Um, and yet 
not only is God portrayed in many feminine ways throughout the Bible, but also, and you highlight this really well in the book, throughout Christian history, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of even, a, a lot of white males writing about God as a, a female or, mm-hmm. you know, having feminine char- characteristics mm-hmm. to highlight specific ways that God interacts with us. Right. And, um, and yeah, for me, that's just a, a something that, you know, it might feel really weird if all you've ever known is God as a man. Totally. Um, but it is something that is biblical. You know, like if, if people are worried about that, it's in the Bible. Right, God's, right. God's talked about in feminine ways right throughout the Bible. Right. Um, and, and also it's, it's just uh, way more balanced. And if that, that can be a starting point for us to just, yeah, to change some mindsets, I think a lot can flow from there. So yeah, thank you for highlighting that. Yeah. Um, when does this beautiful book come out and how can people find it? How can people get in touch with you, find you, follow you, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it comes out on December 1st. So that's exciting. It is available for pre-order now um, on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and bookshop.org. Bookshop.org, bookshop.org is great because it supports local bookstores. Um, yeah, and as far as writing in general, I mean, I, I blog pretty regularly and try to post other articles and stuff at LizCoolidgeJenkins.com. And I'm also pretty active on Instagram at, at Liz Cool J. So would definitely welcome connecting with everyone there. I love your Instagram handle. It is so great. Thank you. <laughs> I had to, I had to explain to my kids who LL Cool J was just so they could get the joke. A little dated. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, beautiful. Um, if well, you don't know who, who that is, go look it up and then you'll get the joke too. <laughs> that's why I had to marry my husband with the last name of Sarah with the J, you know. So. <laughs> just oh, awesome. So yeah, I mean, thank you so much for um, for writing the book. Uh, I think it's beautiful. I think it'll be a, another great addition to the conversation. Thank you. I think that uh, it'll be something that women will read and find themselves in there and find themselves being released into, you know, more of themselves. I think it will be a, a book that men can read and realize the ways that they subtly participate in systems Mm. that they maybe don't even want to be participating in. Sure. Um, And I just found it a really hopeful book. You know, you, you're writing about experiences that have been painful or have caused harm. And yet the whole way through, there's this, I guess this direction of hope going, but we can do something about this. You know, there is, we can live into the fullness of who we are as humans and we can create spaces where everybody can do that. And so, yeah, yeah, so that's really beautiful. I love that you finish with a a beautiful prayer in the book, um, which I was going to get you to read, but it's actually quite long. So we'll we'll just wait till people read the book and they can read it. But it is, it is stunning because it brings (laughs) through that. It, It goes through and reminds us of all the things we've talked about in the book and and yet the hope and the joy that can be. So, um, yeah, so thank you for, for putting it out there. Thank you for all the other work you do around justice, around helping the church be better. Um, yeah, thank you for what you're doing to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me for this conversation and for the work that you're doing.
I got off that video call with Liz, and I have to be honest, a part of me felt like we could have talked in way more depth about some of those things, because this is something I'm really passionate about, and, and Liz has just thought so well about this and has such great perspectives. But then I realised I'd actually just spent hours and hours reading Liz's upcoming book, in which she does go much deeper. And I just can't fit her whole book in an episode, no matter how hard I try. So hopefully this has been a helpful conversation to listen to, but uh, maybe it's also whet your appetite for Nice Churchy Patriarchy that comes out on December 1st. And I'll throw some links in the show notes for how to find that. It's a great book. It's easy to read, but it's hard hitting with deep implications for how we do faith and life together. So Liz, thank you for who you are and for what you do. Here is a blessing for you. Liz, as you continue to write about issues of justice and its intersection with faith, may you continue to be spurred on in your calling to help the church be better. May you see small wins add together to become large victories for those whom the church often overlooks, dismisses, or even harms. May your upcoming book get out into the places it needs to be in the world, helping challenge thoughts and structures, encouraging all who read it to live out their faith in a better way in the world. May you hear stories of impact from those who have read it, and so be encouraged. But may you also know that its impact goes way beyond the stories that you hear. May you continue to find and help create spaces that truly empower women, and allow you to flourish and live into the fullness of your humanity. May you gain new and exciting opportunities through the release of this book that help extend your reach and allow you to challenge the way our church spaces are designed on a greater scale. May you know rest and peace and joy and love each and every day. And lastly, may you know you are seen, you are heard and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Join me next time when I talk to business leader, change agent, and people lover, Bruce Pilbra. Bruce is currently the CEO of the Spirit of Adventure Trust, who specialise in youth development. We discuss his varied career through the business and not-for-profit worlds, how each of those spaces has informed the other, the joys and challenges of bringing change to organisations, how empathy is required when moving people's worlds around, and also the way the Spirit of Adventure Trust goes about changing lives and empowering young people to live their lives with passion and purpose. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi Kia tapu tō ingoa Kia tau mai tō rangatira tanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Ya Engari whakorangi a mātou i te kino ami.